on the line You got to leave it all, leave it all, leave it all on the line Hey Seacast, I am your host, Christy Swadley, and welcome to Yo Ballots Co. We'll be talking about everything to do with health, fitness, well-being, and the power of your thoughts and the mind. So listen up, tune in, and let's go together. Hello Seacast, and welcome to episode two on Yo Ballots Co. I'm your host, Christy Swadley, and today we have a very exciting guest on board, Mia Finlay. So Mia is a recovery coach, helping girls all around the world through her socials, and also an ambassador for the Butterfly Foundation. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Mia. Where do I start? So I guess uh, within the context of what we're talking about today, um, Mm -hmm. I recovered from anorexia six years ago, and have been fully recovered for about three and a half, four years. Uh, started to document my journey through recovery on YouTube. Um, was YouTube the first platform you started on? That was the first one, and it was sort of by accident. So I had a blog that I was running and yeah. started to make videos to upload there, but the only place to upload them was, was YouTube. YouTube first. And yeah. then people started finding it, Yeah, totally, you know, not intending to A blessing ever. in disguise. Absolutely, like total happy accident. And uh, people started to find that. Community started to build there. I started to make videos that were more about raising awareness and advocacy. Yeah. Uh, I started to do some fundraising. Because um, I find through my recovery that's where I struggled with most was the awareness of yes. disorders. Oh, yeah. I was, to- I was totally naive. I, yeah. didn't, I didn't even know what recovery was. I didn't know what inpatient was. Yeah. I didn't know that there was sort of specialty treatment. I had yeah. zero idea. Yeah. So when you started your platforms... This was in your recovery journey or when you were struggling? It was day one of my recovery. Amazing. It's the very wow. first video. Yeah. So it's me sitting on the floor. It's a very, very rudimentary video. Yeah. Sitting on Love the it. floor, talking to my iPad. I'm just like a floating So it's kind of like a diary for you. You're documenting your whole recovery. Completely. I yeah. didn't have anyone to really talk to about it. I didn't know at the time anyone who was going through an eating disorder. I probably did, but yeah. I just didn't talk about it. Oh, yeah, that's the thing. It's fine. It's a topic that not many people talk about. They shy away from it and they get kind of embarrassed and they don't feel as though it's normal and people don't like to talk about their struggles especially with disordered eating yes absolutely and it was such back then it was such a it was a really shameful secretive illness it still is to a degree but there's much more sort of uh, resources out there now and there's a huge online recovery there was none of that there's no example of recovery or particularly full recovery so uh Started to uh, do some fundraising with my community. Butterfly Foundation got in touch. We yeah. started doing a bit of speaking together and events and, and fundraising, that sort of thing, and then came on officially as their ambassador two years ago. Yeah. Um, and it was actually through them that I found out about becoming a recovery coach. I worked in finance the whole time I was an advocate. It was just sort of a passion project of mine. Um, so when did you become a recovery coach through your recovery process? How long? That was so t- – I've been running my business for two years in February uh, and that was a field I didn't even know about. Mm. I People would always ask me. I'd speak at events and people would come up afterwards and say, can I work with you? Like, are you a psychologist? And I was like, yeah. no, I'm, I work in finance. Yeah, you know, I work yeah, in investment banking. I'm no yeah. help to anyone. Yeah. And that's where – Isn't it funny that you thought that because, like, you know, you didn't have, like, a qualification that time, you haven't studied it or whatever. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, we were talking about this before, that experience is the best type of knowledge yeah. because you go through it. You know what is happening. You know what them thoughts are like, that mindset's like. And if I've ever opened up to anyone about my recovery and my journey, they 
they have um, compassion and they have empathy, but there's no understanding that they have no idea what that mindset's like. So the advice and the words that they give me don't actually resonate with me. Yes. It's not until I speak to someone who has been through it where they can give me tips and they know what that mindset's like because yes. it's a complete. Oh, it's a it is it's a completely different mindset. It's a media no trust. That's what right. I see. Yeah. Uh, so. When I found out about the coaching, what really appealed to me was obviously if I'm going to work with somebody, I want them to yeah. have the trust that I'm accredited. But mm. there's then the component of trust from the lived experience. It's the combination of the two, being yeah. able to create a, a framework to help guide them through recovery, exactly. but also to be there as an example. So yeah. I'm sitting and eating with people who are saying, I can't do this. Yeah. And I'm sitting there as an example. Yes, you yes, can. can. Yes, you can. Because I was sitting on that side exactly. of the table exactly. not so long ago, having mm. that exact side of the conversation with somebody else it's funny because through recovery we all kind of think the same we think oh i'm worse than that girl mentally so i'm not going to be able to do it or i'm not as bad as her so i shouldn't recover that's the trap there's so many different mindsets that we go into and it's kind of like it's it's your fear coming out trying to keep you within your comfort yes and actually making that progress you have to fight them thoughts and you have to realize that they are just thoughts mm -hmm. they're not true so going back to your journey with your eating disorder because this whole entire podcast i really want to just touch on how to become aware of when your healthy eating habits mm -hmm. are actually becoming addictions because i even in my day-to-day -day life i'll talk to friends or people that i meet out and they'll they'll say to me oh you know i'm eating this i'm doing that but i feel as though it's becoming is some form of disorder behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, they're restricting themselves or they're going on extreme diets and, you know, they'll ask me, is this disordered eating? Is this, does this mean, you know, I'm not thin enough so I don't have an eating disorder, but is this bad or good? Mm -hmm. And I'll get this question so much. And I just wanted to kind of like ask you and shed some light on when did you become aware that your habits around food became a bad addiction yeah so first i think it's important for anyone because i know we've talked about the fact that this is really aimed at people who don't have that sort of understanding yeah. of like what is an eating disorder what's disordered eating right so eating disorders come in so many different forms anorexia then there's the subtype mm. so what i have is anorexia binge purge subtype i'd never heard that phrase until it was given to me as a diagnosis so what's that so that's where you are uh, sort of meeting the DSM-5 criteria, which is the manual for uh, mental illnesses, basically, yeah. uh, which stipulates the sort, sort of categories that you fit into. So that is eating for, or res restricting in a certain way to a certain degree. Yeah. Sort of weight does come into it, unfortunately. Uh, I don't think we need that distinction, but it is in the manual. Yeah. And then there's binging and purging behaviours as well. So yeah. somebody with anorexia nervosa as their diagnosis would not necessarily be using those binging purging behaviours. Yes. And then yeah. we have bulimia, mm -hmm. binge eating disorder, OSFED, ARFID. There's all kinds of eating there's disorders. There's so many varieties. So, yeah. so many. And people just think that, you know, if it's their body weight and if they're un underweight, then that's, yeah, that's the only thing that defines an eating disorder. But, but there is so Exactly, it. and it's three to four percent of sufferers have anorexia, and yet it's the most recognized. And, and really, that three to four percent that's nothing. Mm -hmm. 47 percent with binge eating disorder, binge eating disorder, people yeah. don't even know it exists. So, mm. then outside of that, disordered eating is not necessarily an eating disorder, doesn't mean it's not as painful, or yeah, that it can't be dangerous. Uh, and it can turn into an eating disorder. So most people at some point in their lives is probably engaged with some kind of disordered eating, mm. whether it's cutting out a food group, mm. uh, chronic dieting. Um, if we look at the 
different outlets like Butterfly Foundation, NIDA, all of these eating disorder associations, they tend to have lists of what qualifies as disordered eating. So what do you reckon are some signs that people can look out for? Definitely obsession. Yeah. Talking about sort of like that addiction yeah. component. Yeah. I kind of put addiction and obsession in the same category. Mm-hmm. Uh, so becoming obsessive, becoming hyper-focused, particularly on things like numbers, your yeah. weight, calories, mm. even steps, mm. this whole hyper-focus on even steps. Oh, how days. crazy is it? And your heart rate and yes. everything. Yes. So it's it can be very frustrating because the media they do, they get you to focus on all these things and they kind of – Say it's healthy. Yes. And but really where where is that line of saying that this is becoming an addiction and a bad behaviour? Yeah. And that's why I think it is so important to show some awareness on when it is time to stop and when it is time to say, Okay, I actually think this is becoming an unhealthy addiction, not healthy habits anymore. I think that a really good indicator of these things maybe straying out of, you know, what is considered healthy is probably anxiety levels. That's the yes. best way yeah. I can help people judge. You know, if you're getting stressed and anxious around food, then yeah. something isn't okay. Something putting a donut in front of you makes you want to jump up and run away from the table yeah. or makes you think, oh, my God, what am I going to have to cut out of the rest yeah, of my table? If you're, How yeah. long do I have to go for a run for? Safety, yeah. Or if you sit and you eat it and there's feelings of guilt or regret or panic, particularly that anxiety is a huge warning sign. So you'd say that's probably the main thing to look out for if you're getting stressed or anxious yeah. around food or even going to eat out with friends or family. That's when you can kind of sit down and reflect and say to yourself, maybe this healthy lifestyle that I've chosen is actually becoming an addiction. Yes. It's becoming a bad behavior and I'm actually creating a bad relationship with it. Because at the end of the day, I define health and happiness through how I feel. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Not just how I'm eating and how I'm exercising, it comes down to how you feel. And if a lifestyle that I'm living is causing me stress and isn't actually serving me and creating happiness, then that's not the lifestyle that I want to be living. And rather than focusing so much on the perfect diet and the perfect exercise routine, you need to be focusing on creating a lifestyle that is going to work for you forever. Yeah, and it's got to be... It's health is not just physical health. Mm. Health is mental health. Mm. And we know that one of the biggest killers is stress. Exactly. So if your healthy lifestyle is mm. causing you stress, that is actually then having a physical consequence. Exactly. Which is going to impact your physical health. Exactly. So when people say to me, but I'm making these fairly restrictive choices for my health, mm. and then we have a look at their anxiety and stress levels, and, you know, even some of that disordered stuff yeah. morphing into eating disorder behaviours, the physical consequences of that mental stress is huge and sort exactly. of cancels out all these healthy, exactly. healthy, air, air quotes, air quotes. Uh, choices that you're making. Exactly. And I find as well when you are going in with such a restrictive mindset, I find when a lot, like a lot of people that I know, whether it's a friend or people that I meet out, they go in to this healthy eating with an all or nothing attitude and mm-hmm. they find themselves either yo-yoing with their weight or mm-hmm. their mindset, their stress. And like I said before, with a healthy living, you want to be making it sustainable and a, a life choice. Mm-hmm. So rather than going in being so strict and having this all or nothing attitude, it's all about having just a more flexible approach and like I said, aiming for happiness. And I find... If you are getting stressed or anxious around food and you are feeling as though that your um, healthy eating is becoming more of an addiction, that is not going to be sustainable and you're, there's going to be a point where you're going to fall off that wagon. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so, totally. Yeah, rather Especially than, when we see 
and, and we see it, it's not just people with eating disorders, it's what I call sort of that eating pendulum where mm. you are on a restrictive diet, right? You're eating some amount of calories, which is really, and a lot of these diets that are being sort of sold as programs have the daily caloric intake of a three-year-old. It's, yeah. For an adult. Yeah, it's just yeah, mind-boggling. Exactly. So if you're eating like that, the reason we, you know, quote-unquote fall off the wagon is because your body knows that it's in a deficit. Mm. It knows it's in an, in an energy mm. deficit. It knows that it's starving. Mm. And the body doesn't care about your body ideals. It doesn't care about what you want it to look like. When it gets the chance, it's going to make up for what you've, restricted exactly and that's when you binge exactly and then you have the guilt and the shame of binging mm. and you swing back to restriction and it's this constant yo-yo dieting chronic dieting oh, there's a there's the a cycle so normal. so normal there's a cycle that i actually shared on my instagram story yesterday and it was about the dieting cycle how people feel that they need to diet so then they restrict and then their body feels deprived so then they overeat they get confused around food and then they started again. Mm -hmm. It just it is. It's a constant cycle. You feel as though because you over you've overeaten on a meal that you'll need to restrict and then you'll start dieting again. And like you said, the body knows. The mm -hmm. body's smart. If you're putting yourself within a deficit, it'll need to make up for it. So what are signs that people can look out for if they are under eating mm -hmm. or they're not nourishing their body enough? Is there any physical signs that we go through? Mental signs? Absolutely. I think yeah. fatigue, I think certainly if you feel like you're running off adrenaline, and yeah. this is where we can get when people say, I feel great when I'm, you know, uh, starting a diet. Well, it's because you're running off adrenaline, right? Your brain is having this response, this fight or flight response, yeah. because you're starving you know, it, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So it yeah. goes, it's sort of like caveman instinct, right? You, you'd go through a famine phase as a caveman, you wouldn't have access to food. And so the brain would start to have to basically prepare itself for survival. And that's we're intentionally doing that to ourselves now, which is crazy given we have such abundant access to food. Isn't it funny that, like you said, um, when you first start a diet, you do you have that adrenaline, mm. but how long does that last? Exactly. Yeah. You're always going to – what goes up must come down. Yeah. You don't have an endless resource mm. of adrenaline. Rather um, than focusing so much on feeling, you know, so good and feeling that adrenaline – what should people start to focus on? I think they should be focusing on, like I said, sort of taking care of their mental health as well. Yeah. And this this whole concept of, you know, what are some of the warning signs of, of being undernourished, a lot of it is how you're experiencing the world mentally. Mm. We become anguished. We become very reactive, right? Yeah. Think yeah. about the word hangry. Mm. Where does that come from? It comes from the fact that we become so fragile emotionally when we're not eating enough yeah where our focus is terrible mental clarity terrible yeah. incredibly foggy mm. our relationships are impacted because we are so quick to react mm. or we're much more sensitive so a lot of it is also like you're hungry 24 7 you don't even become aware of it because yep. it's your normal it's your, mm -hmm. you've be, like become tolerant to yeah it. exactly yeah exactly so um what are other signs so you said that people can become quite like anxious you said people can mental fog mental clarity fog yeah. um cold definitely getting cold is absolutely. one of them absolutely yeah. you can have uh also if it reaches the point where your body has to sort of conserve energy for other systems and purposes yeah. for women they can lose their period it's yeah. called amenorrhea yeah and obviously that can affect fertility uh so that can have some really serious long-term consequences mm, it's so oh, it's crazy that there isn't just um effects to do with food and your thoughts toward food but it can affect your whole entire life mm -hmm. like 
I know when I was um, ill, it affected, like you said, all my relationships, my um, my work. I couldn't work. I couldn't really think about anything apart from food and dieting. And it, get, it actually got to a point where I didn't have happiness anymore. I forgot what happiness felt like. Hey, like it was crazy. Like the only thing that I would really get excited for was exercising or food and yes. everything else was just meh. Yeah. Like I didn't put any care or anything into it. And I, even though my sex drive went, like I just didn't feel like a normal human anymore. And these are all these signs that you can look out for if you feel as though that your healthy eating is becoming too much. And I think to your point as well, sort of it limits you, right? Mm. You, you might notice that you're not as social as you were. Yeah. You might notice you're saying no to things. Mm. You might notice, oh, no, I can't I can't go to that restaurant. Yeah, no, I plan to have a low-carb dinner so I can't go to eat pizza. That's yeah. not yeah. – Or for me, I even with dates, this is terrible, but someone would ask me out and we'd go to dinner yeah. and they'd switch the restaurant last minute and I'd cancel. You'd cancel on the date. I would be oh. so petrified because obviously a first date is nerve-wracking enough and yeah. you put on top of that yeah. an eating disorder and fear of food yeah. and I would have spent the day like looking at the menu yeah. and trying to figure out what I could pick oh, I so I didn't look like I had an eating disorder, yeah. But right? so many people would think that is normal behaviour oh, yes. because you of social totally media. You can totally do that without having an eating disorder. Yes, yes. Yes, you can, but as long as you're like you're not stressing if at the end of the day there is no healthy option on that. Yes. And that's what I think we need to become aware of is yes, being mindful of healthy eating and being mindful of okay, you know, today I actually feel like eating a healthy meal. I'm gonna order something, a salad on the menu. But becoming aware of when it's becoming forceful and stressful and like you said, it's creating limitations. Yes. And are you actually choosing the salad because the salad is what you're going to enjoy? Yeah, right. exactly. What's exactly. driving those choices? Yeah, yeah. Now for me, like I'm loving a life I've created where, you know, sometimes I feel like ordering the chicken salad, other times I'll order the bacon egg roll. Yeah. And I've become more mindful of my body and I have a healthy relationship with food when I can do that and I feel as though that's what we need to be striving for rather than perfection, mm-hmm. strive for what is healthy for you. Hence why I have created, you know, find your balance because everyone's balance is going to be completely different depending on their goals and their past and what they've been through. So obviously if you are someone who you've had a restrictive past or disordered eating behavior, you need to be mindful of that and making choices right now that are going to help you grow, not going to like bring you back, bring you back into that restrictive mindset. So going back to recovery, do you have any like strategies or methods that you use that helped you in that recovery journey? Yeah, so I was really lucky. I am really lucky because treatment access is improving in Australia. Oh, we've how some, amazing we've is had it? Some, yeah. Last year was an amazing year for and even sort of like funding, etc. Eating disorder awareness days yes. and how there is so many like social media platforms who are all about body positivity. Like I just think it is so incredible because when I was going through the early stages of my recovery. Girl, I didn't even really know what an eating disorder was. Mm-hmm. It's just stuff that I would read on magazines and they would just say certain celebrities would have it and there were certain diets and everything. And it was always that that stereotype, that extreme of sort of the very emaciated person, yes. which is even within the anorexia diagnosis, that's not what everybody looks like. Oh, yeah, exactly. I never looked anything like that, mm-hmm. even though I was clinically underweight towards mm-hmm. the end of my eating disorder. I would look at those things and say, well, that must mean I don't have an eating disorder exactly. because I don't look like that. Mm. So you can imagine how invalidating it is for 
those people who are in the other diagnoses that never get represented. Exactly. Where they never see their body type yeah. or their like I say gender all the time, or their race. Eating disorders comes in all shapes and sizes mm-hmm. and that's why I feel as though it was so important to record this episode and just share some awareness that just because you aren't at a certain weight or you don't look a certain way doesn't mean that your um, healthy eating is becoming too much, is becoming addictions. Also, the sooner you address it, the, the sooner you can actually repair exactly your relationship or what's going on with you mentally the longer you're in this mentality Mm -hmm. and that's a physical consequence that's not just you know anecdotal the way that we talk to ourselves the way that we behave actually entrenches these neural pathways so the way that your brain operates kind of like a computer operates if you keep saying putting the same code into the computer that's what it's going to use right so every time you have a thought and you act on it and you don't if, if you incentivize the thought to show up, they'll keep showing up. Exactly. Right? The longer so, you're within it, the harder it is to get out of it. Because like you said, we're running off these habits. So yeah. the more that you are like continuing with these habits, the deeper and deeper they become. Yeah. Absolutely. So when you started to document your recovery, do you find that, that helped you? Oh, hugely. Yeah. So I feel really lucky. I mean, on one hand, it would have been really beneficial to have a more visible uh, like recovery community online at the time because it is such a great support system where it is sort of a healthy Well, having a community and people who yeah. are going through it yeah, at the just, same time. Yeah, and just examples of people who yeah. have got further along than you have. On one hand, I wish I had that. On the other hand, I'm glad I didn't mm-hmm. because there can be a lot of fairly irresponsible stuff out there about recovery and you've got to be really selective about what you're looking A lot of things can trigger you. Yeah, and even, and even if it's absolutely not that person's intention and it may not trigger somebody else, it might be a trigger for you. Exactly, right? so, so that's not of, their intention. Exactly. It's not going to trigger them. Exactly, it can be a bit of a minefield. Yeah. So it was huge for me because it, on one hand, helped me to keep at the forefront what I was learning throughout my treatment so I would go to my session and I'd feel all motivated and then 48 hours later it would start to sort of drop out of my head yeah. and so I'd go back and watch these videos to be like well that's me saying that exactly. right so my psychologist saying to me do you remember last week when you felt this way and me being like no yeah but I did I yeah. it's me looking at me saying this is how this feels yeah this is this you know realization you've reached this is this thing you've learned try to do this this week and that was, I was sort of like my own coach, I guess, oh, in that sense. It's so amazing because I never even really thought of, you know, documenting um, your recovery through just like your phone or anything like that because I definitely did start that through through my phone. And now only speaking to you now, I've started to realise that that's what I was doing. Yeah. That's, I started my YouTube channel through it, but it was kind of like me documenting how I feel and what I'm doing and it really did help because, yeah. like you said, it's kind of like you are coaching yourself and it's kind of like with a journal when you write it down or when you talk about it, you're actually becoming aware of how you feel. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you're putting language to it. Yeah, yeah, sometimes when it's just all up in your in your head, it can feel very cluttered mm-hmm. and it can become real. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes when it's in your head and it's just thoughts, your thoughts, you feel as though they define you and they become what is. But just because you're thinking and feeling a certain way doesn't mean it's true. And I find when I, when I ever like wrote it down in my diary or I spoke about it, I would kind of laugh about how how silly it sounded. And because, you know, in recovery, you you have so many irrational thoughts. Constant. Constantly. And when you document them, you start to realise that, okay, 
this is stupid, this is silly, I don't need to I don't need to think this way, I don't need to feel this way. But when it's in your head, it becomes so real and it becomes it defines you and it becomes all you know and it consumes you. Mm. But when you start to document it, put it on a piece of paper, or you even like you said, record it. Mm. Get in front of a camera because it's you, it's your feelings, it's your thoughts, you're getting it out there. It really does have a whole nother feeling towards it. And you can see your progress as well to exactly. be able to go back three months and that's really that was my motivation I said what if I recorded this and it was literally just before I was running out the door to go to my psychologist for the first time and I thought what if I looked back on this in like six months and I was however recovered I would be by that point like how how amazing to have and I was just going to do one and then it felt so Mm. rewarding to do Mm. it and to start actually talking about it but I kept coming back because sometimes do you don't realise how far you've come until you no, look back. especially in recovery. I yeah. have clients say to me all the time, I'm not progressing, I'm, I haven't actually, you know, done as much work as I should. And I'm on the other end going, you've smashed every challenge. Maybe exactly. they've all gone perfectly. Yeah. And then I get them to do a list of everything that's changed in the last however long. Yeah. What are the tangible changes? And then they send it to me in an email and they're like, oh, actually. I did achieve this. <laughs> I'm actually doing quite well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I find as well saying in recovery and life really is rather than aiming perfection, just aim for consistency. You know, as long as you're chipping away at it every single day rather than having to have such a perfect recovery process. Well, even not perfect, I started, because I've been a perfectionist since way back. I'm I'm a a perfectionist who gets paralysed by their perfectionism. I'll just be like, well, I'm not going to do anything. I can't do it. Absolutely, 110%, 24-7. And... I started to see that having that expectation of being perfect was so inefficient oh. and so ineffective yeah. that every time my brain would beat me up, I'd be like, uh, are you helping? Yeah. Like, is this going to get yeah. us to the outcome yeah. you're bullying me And sometimes you just you don't want to make any action at all. Yeah, exactly. So mm. it was like, well, that's not working. Yeah. This hasn't worked for years. Why am I still doing this same process over and over? And then my brain has the audacity to judge me and shame me and say, yeah. see, you can't do anything. Yeah, because you're making it impossible, impossible for me to do anything. Oh, 100%. That's the same with goals. I'm all about yeah. like lowering your expectations. Yeah. So you can give yourself that sense of achievement. Be flexible. Right? Exactly. I right never set a target for a client and say, yeah. I want you to eat a donut every day exactly. this week yeah. and I and do it for every meal. Mm-hmm. Are you setting them up for failure? Mm-hmm. And then what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. Make any progress? Absolutely not. My goal for them is, you know, maybe between two and four times this week, yeah. have this as a snack. It's a new sort of fear food. Mm-hmm. So if they only do it twice, they still met the goal. Exactly. If they do it four times, they still met the goal. Mm-hmm. But it gives them that wiggle room to start understanding it's sort of on two fronts it, it helps them to challenge the food yeah, in a exactly. you know real time yeah. sense but it's also helping them to start framing their thinking a little bit differently yeah, exactly. like oh i can be a bit more gentle with my expectations because yeah. yeah. they can be like oh, i only did it twice i'm like great that's fine that was part of the goal yeah that's excellent so that would be an amazing tip you know like setting yourself little milestone yeah. goals every single day chipping away at it and like you said, be realistic with yes, it. Yes, yes. And with the goals as well, um, that's where the change really mm. happens. Because mm. when I was talking before about if you have a thought and you act on it, you incentivize your brain to go, oh, well, I'll, I'll retain this. This yeah. is what we do now, right? Yeah. Even if it's a terrible way of coping or whatever it is, it's familiar. It's predictable. So the brain sort of is operating based on how 
easy is it for me to run this process, not whether or not it's actually the best process to use. Do you know what I mean? So if something is coming up like a thought and you are afraid of a certain food or whatever it is, even though it makes you so uncomfortable to challenge it and to eat that food, that will have a physical consequence. You will start to build this pathway in your brain, um, which over time will mean that you'll drop the disordered one because you don't need it anymore. Exactly. But the way to build it is to challenge those thoughts mm. with a behaviour that contradicts it. Exactly. It tells you not to eat mm. something eat it exactly right yeah if it tells you to put the fork down and you're not ready like you got to fork up well like i um something that really resonates with me is your thoughts need energy to survive Mm -hmm. the energy that you give it through action and emotion so through recovery if your mind is saying don't eat that Mm -hmm. you need to eat that in order to challenge that you cannot just expect these negative thoughts towards food to just disappear they don't Mm -hmm. you have to actually act upon them and make new routines make new thoughts and challenge yourself Mm -hmm. recovery isn't about just hoping to get better it's about making the effort the action and challenging yourself and that is the most scary part but that is what's going to create freedom. Yeah, and it can be really frustrating because I will sort of make my videos about, you know, how to start recovery. Mm. And invariably one of the tips is always, I actually like flash up a thing from like a Nike app, which is like, just do it. Just do it. You have to just yeah. do it. Yeah. And people will come to me and say, and they sort of, in coaching, because we are doing really practical day-to-day yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. But we're doing the action part of it. Yeah. They'll say to me, uh, well, you know, how can you make me do it? I'm like, I'm not here to make you do it. I'm not because it's not my recovery. It's you and me working together to help you sort of address your eating disorder part of you, right? You have to get you to do it. Like we could sit here and we could talk about the things that are going to make the journey and the process easier. But at the end of the day, my number one tip would just be just to do it. You have to. Yeah, just make the action and the action is going to create the routines and everything that is needed and at the end of the day, it's all about the action because, like I said, the action will feed the thoughts. And if you want to have them freedom thoughts, if you want the results, you need to make the action. And yes. like you said, just do it. I love that. Yeah. I literally love that so much because yeah. it is so true. And it's such a – I feel so privileged to have gone through the process because I feel like it taught me so much about, you know, you're like you'll hear friends who yeah. are like, I want to start this business or I want to – I want to do this. I want to move to this. And they talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about it. And I used to be one of those people who was like, maybe if I talk about it enough, I'll wake up and it'll just happen one day. Yeah. And recovery is such an uncomfortable process, but can be a very beneficial one because you are having to do the thing which makes you so uncomfortable, which makes your anxiety a 15 out of 10 and prove to yourself over and over again that you're going to be okay. It's not going to feel great. It's not going to feel perfect. it's not necessarily going to get easier. It will become more tolerable and then it will probably get easier for most people. Yeah. So like when you are recovering, you've got to literally just be okay with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that because it's not a comfortable process at all. You're going to feel uncomfortable and you're going to be doing things that scare you and that fear you. Because that's where growth happens, right? Exactly. Like even just in other areas of your life, like you're starting, if you're starting a new job and you're like, 
I'm so excited, but I'm terrified yeah. because it's change, it's growth. It's yeah. where you're kind of going from one part of your life to the next. It's transition. Transition, yeah. even if it's positive, doesn't always feel good because it's an unknown. Exactly. And that's where I think... Fear of the unknown. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And yeah. that's where I think having examples of lived experience out there, that's where that's so powerful because yeah. I say to clients all the time, like I set a task and I'm like, go and find a person for me who has spoken publicly about the fact that they regret recovery. Because you yeah, you're not going to find it. Not even not. privately. Like yeah. I've spoken to a lot of people yeah. over the years, thousands of people mm-hmm. in the almost seven years I've been advocating. Not one person Regrets recovery. has ever told me they no. regret recovery. No. And it, because that that mindset when you have that disorder behavior or you're so strict on yourself, whether you do or you don't think that you have an eating disorder, if you have such a strict mindset and you're feeling so limited, I promise you, you don't understand how how stressful that is until you're out of it. Yeah. You know, you don't you don't understand until you have that freedom mindset, you look back at that and you're like, wow, I'm so glad I don't have that headspace anymore. And then them rules and that routine and everything. And it can be hard because we do, we have all these pages, these Instagram pages, these blogs, these magazines where these diets are shown to be okay and normal. Mm-hmm. So what are your thoughts with social media, good or bad? I uh, I used to have a different opinion. I used to be very, a, not a big champion of, yeah. of social media. And then I think there's been this whole change of thought and dialogue about the fact that it's actually on you. You are the one who curates your interaction with social media. You're in control of who you're following. Do you know what I mean? Like every single day we're scrolling through our phones and they're the pages that you follow. So if these, I say it all the time, if these pages don't motivate you, inspire you, Mm -hmm. or you don't learn from them, you're actually following the wrong pages. Yeah, I did as I always do as part of one of my workshops, my body neutrality workshop. I always have a section where I get them to do like a social media inventory. Yeah. I even get them to do an inventory of, you know, whatever kind of media they're interacting with, whether it's TV shows or movies, all of those things can continue to sort of give us this impression of what bodies are meant to look like, right? Yeah. But we don't notice. It's all really uh, it's all really subtle. Yeah. So I would get them to do a similar thing, sort of to write out the list of who they're following and then three different emojis which reflect, do I feel inspired? Do I find it funny? Is it educational? Does it make me want to travel? Does it sort of feed one of my interests? Does it make me feel nothing? Does it make me feel bad about myself? Yeah. Does it make me feel uncomfortable does it make me feel like I'm comparing and all the I do it with clients as well and very often because I'll say them I want you to send me a list of who you're following and I'll look on their face because they know they know they're following stuff that is reinforcing this need and before they even send me the list they're like I just unfollowed a bunch of people I'm not even going to send them to you because I know I shouldn't be following that so it's being more mindful it's being more aware it's taking it's taking control. It's realising that we're not actually as powerless as we're told we are. Exactly. It's very profitable for people to tell us that we're It's powerless. so true, though, because we do. We are in control. Mm-hmm. We have the power. So it's about making the actions that make us feel more in control. Yeah. You know, unfollow the accounts that aren't serving you, that are making you feel negative about yourself, about diets, about food. Yeah. Because it's one of the best things that I did for my recovery and started to unfollow accounts that were promoting restriction and dieting yeah. and these bloody juice cleansers and intermittent fasting and it's all nonsense. Literally, it's because... If you do follow them, it's considered normal. Yes. So your disordered behavior around food, you will feel like it's normal and you'll feel stressed. 
You have all these signs, but you ignore them because everyone that you're following is doing them. That is the problem is that especially, I mean, it's, it's a problem for people dealing with disordered eating, but it's particularly a problem for people in recovery because they, you are being told that the way that you're behaving is unhealthy. You're being told the way that you interact with, the way you interact with food and your body and body image and how you talk you to see, yourself. You see, so many other people doing it. And then you come out through recovery and you're like, hang on, but you're all doing it. Yeah, you're you all going juice cleanses. You might not be the extreme I was, mm-hmm. but you're still on that spectrum, yeah. right? That was definitely something I struggled with in my recovery because I was still following them accounts and yeah. doing juice cleanses and they weren't eating until a certain time and I'd yes. be like, how come they can do it but I can't? I know. And that's when I said, because people say to me, but I just want to be normal. I just want to be, why can't I do what everyone else is doing? I said, just because something's common doesn't mean it's normal. Exactly. Common is not normal. This exactly. is not a normal way of eating. This is not a normal way of trying to manipulate your body. This is not a normal way of talking to yourself. This is not a normal way of exercising. Exactly. And at the end of the day, there's been so many people who will post that they're eating a salad but really behind closed doors they're eating donuts. So like you can't yeah. you can't believe everything that you see on social no, media. No, it's even professionals, it's even in real life, let alone what's on social media. I had a client who a part of her issue was excessive exercise and objectively was not not an athlete, that's a totally different sort of approach yeah. that we've got to take. But just Sort over exercise yeah, recreationally yeah. and right? you find that it's actually really common i have friends who be like yeah i went to the gym twice today and i'm like but why yeah why you have a couch in netflix yeah you, you have a couch in netflix why why the gym twice <laughs> and, pizza. What are you doing? yeah and yeah. you find people who are doing that they're having that attitude they actually fall off the wagon sooner yeah than. but it's really rewarded so yeah I, this client oh good it? on you you've gone to the gym twice yeah. today like that is it's not a good thing no it's not healthy this client her, her trainer uh, I had I was trying to address this exercise and, and get her down to you know a, a reasonable number, so we were sort of chipping away at it. And her trainer told her to lie to me oh, and wow. just keep doing what she was doing. Yeah. And to her credit, she said, "Oh no, I really like him. I think that he'll be you know really and knew that she had needs oh, sort of history. Did, oh yeah, but within the fitness oh, industry yeah. and the health industry, That's what I mean. it's so normalised. Yeah, and it's oh. it's it's unhealthy if not negligent. Mm. You know, and the thing is, like a lot of like I said, what is going to be healthy for one is not going to be healthy for the other. So it comes down to becoming aware of what your balance is. Mm. Obviously, you know, some athletes their goal is to train. Two, you know, two days, I don't think it's healthy, but yeah. that is their goal right now. And it doesn't mean that is something that you should be doing at all. And also athletes are one of the most vulnerable vulnerable groups when it comes to eating disorders as well. Yeah. So oh, yeah. seeing these people who, yes, they're professionals or they might be trainers or even dietitians, like it's, it's down to the individual. Just yeah. because somebody has, that's not to say I'm discrediting qualifications, mm-hmm but the individual themselves and what they're sort of espousing and what they're promoting just because they have that title doesn't mean that they're not necessarily uh, dispensing sort of disorder And having disorder behaviour because they they haven't listened to this podcast. They're not aware that their healthy habits are actually becoming addictions and that's why it is so important to sit back reflect and be like cool me you know stressing if I can't make it to the gym today or me stressing if I'm not eating the meals that I've planned Maybe this isn't actually becoming a lifestyle anymore. Maybe I'm getting addicted. Yeah, and a really good way to figure out, there's two approaches that I think can help people to figure out whether or not something is entering sort of a dodgy territory in terms of food and exercise. And one is to ask yourself, what if I didn't do it? Okay. How would I feel? Would I feel anxious? Would I feel 
like I said earlier, like I have to make up for it, like I have to restrict, like yeah. I have to compensate. Like oh, making to... up for it's a big one. If you feel as though that is a thought that you're having after, you know, you're not doing something that's planned or you can't exercise, if you're having that thought, like yeah. what am I going to do to make up for it, then I feel like it's you're a not, You're not doing it for enjoyment then. Yeah. You are absolutely yeah. not doing it for enjoyment. It's becoming a rule now to have to rather than to want to. Exactly. And the second one is would you make your loved one do it? Yeah. What if your loved one was doing that and feeling the way that you feel mm. and they told you that that's how it made them feel? Would you be worried? Mm. Would you want something different for them? What would you want for them? Mm. And then try to make the connection of why you're not doing that for yourself. Exactly. Because it is. It's, you know, willpower is one thing, but stress and anxiety and limitations are another thing. Yeah. So it's just coming coming aware of when the when having this willpower and you know, saying, oh, maybe I should go to the gym today is actually causing you a lot of stress mm -hmm. and it's becoming more of an addiction. And that's why having more of a balanced approach towards everything is something that I promote because balance is everything and knowing when it is, okay, maybe I should actually go to the gym today and force yourself to get up. Or actually, I think it, I need a rest. Yeah, I think it's actually okay for me to just do nothing and have a lazy day, realizing that incorporating that balance and not having that all or nothing attitude when it comes to eating healthy and not being so strict and actually having more of a lenient life, that is my balance and yeah. that's something that I have chosen. And I think it's also redefining like what does that mean for you? Does it mean exactly. that what's your, what's your definition? What are you trying to achieve, I suppose? What's, mm. is it success? Is it self-acceptance? Mm. Is it For peace? me, my, mine's, mine's happiness and yeah. freedom. So mine's peace. Mine's peace, always yeah. calm and peace because I've yeah. lived chaotically for so long. Yeah. If it doesn't if it doesn't support so me being able to be yeah. calm, I'm not doing it. I'm the same, hey, through my journey of recovery, through excessive exercise, it just caused me so much stress mm -hmm. and anxiety. And, you know, for example, if I have a busy day, I ain't going to the gym that morning because I'm not going to have to, you know, wake up at 6 make sure they have everything prepped and then be late for something. I just know that, okay, some people like to do that. But for me, no, I don't want to be stressed in the morning. I want to be able to get to my meeting on time, get ready on time. So I'm not going to wake up at 6 a.m. to go to the gym. But years ago, I would wake up at 3 a.m. to go to the yeah. bloody gym. And now I know that's going to cause me stress. Yeah. That's going to cause me anxiety. And for yeah. me to – Sleep deprivation, which is just more stress and anxiety. Yeah. 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 But, like, you know, I'll see people on social media who they will, they'll get up at 4 a.m., they'll go to the gym before their meeting, and they'll enjoy that. They really do. But for me, I won't enjoy that because it'll cause me stress and anxiety. So that's why it is become aware of what your why is with health and happiness. Like, yours is peace, mm -hmm. mine is freedom, mm -hmm. and peace. I really love that one. And just do things every single day that are going to serve that and they're going to promote that. So is there one word of advice? that you could give to our listeners to avoid healthy habits becoming addictions? I'd say really working on that self-awareness is probably the biggest one. Mm. I think that we do a lot of things on autopilot. I think we do a lot of things where we're sort of uh, witnesses to our own lives rather than participants. Yeah, like we're, we sitting, we're sitting in the back seat, right, yeah. and we need to be behind You're not becoming conscious of how your actions are becoming habits and rituals and becoming you. Literally, the actions that you do, they, they define who you yeah. are. So it's about becoming aware of what you're doing, getting off that autopilot mm -hmm. and start to sit back, reflecting, whether that is meditating, journaling. Like I, through my recovery process, I have three full journals that I have filled out. And it's because it does, you sit back, you reflect, you become aware of what your actions are, how you're feeling with them actions. Otherwise, like you said, you get on autopilot. Yeah. So you sort of become, uh, yeah, you just sort of become 
less empowered, I mm. guess, when you're just sort of following things blindly or mindlessly. It's sort of like how I think about body image, that I just accepted this system by which we just should always be trying to make ourselves smaller or that there's only one way for a body to look and that I and you accepted that that was right oh not only that but that was the only way I was going to be lovable likable successful acceptable that people would be kind to me that I would be desirable that I could you know pursue a romantic relationship that's what I was fed and I never questioned it ever I never thought who does this message serve where does it come from who's perpetuating it usually people trying to sell you stuff oh absolutely. yeah look this way you're gonna yeah. you know, buy this yeah. it's, it's everywhere it is whether it's everywhere. the cosmetic industry whether it's plastic surgery industry or whatever yeah. you're constantly forced to change and if, yourself and if you still make that choice that is totally up mm. to you but be conscious of why you're making it exactly for instance i know that i enjoy wearing makeup I also know that there's a system behind that that has made me feel like I should wear makeup. So when I use it, I or I pluck my eyebrows, right, or get them waxed. It's yeah. a painful process that I have been conditioned to think I have to do. I still do it. I'm aware of why I do it, yeah. right? So it doesn't mean that we don't still participate in all the things that we've been conditioned to think we need to. It's just... Be aware of why you're doing it. Exactly. And make that conscious choice for yourself. Exactly. Same thing with diet and exercise. If you want to do it, that's fine. I never say to people in recovery, they're so scared that I'm going to be like, you can never move your body again. Or, you know, there's only now this way that you're going to eat. No, it's a it's freedom is the goal. Yeah. It's about getting to a totally flexible place exactly. where you are in control. Exactly. Where yeah. and real control, right? These things make you feel in control, like disordered eating, dieting, calorie restriction, whatever it is, or over-exercising, they make you feel like you're in control and you are never less in control. Oh, 100%. So feeling is not function, exactly, right? Just because exactly. something gives you the feeling of control doesn't mean you're getting the function of it. Mm. When you are actually pursuing your own choices and your own desires and the things you actually want, you have both function and feeling. So Isn't that funny that sometimes to get yourself in control, you have to let go of control? Completely, yeah, completely, yeah. and just sort of surrender and know the only thing that you can control is your response. Yeah. The only thing you can control is how you take care of yourself through anything. You cannot control external circumstances. You can't control other people. Yeah. You can't control their behaviour, and you are going to exhaust and disappoint yourself trying to. The only way that you can effectively use that need for control is going to be within, right? Yeah. How are yeah. you going to navigate that? How are you going to take care of yourself no matter what happens yeah. and make sure that you're going to be okay? Exactly. And like you said earlier, it's just about also letting go of that control and allowing yourself to feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I find that's why we have this control because we don't want to feel uncomfortable. We create so much control because we have an expectation of how we should be feeling on a constant basis. But like we said before, Rather than constantly searching for that feeling of high, mm. there's always going to be that low feeling. Yeah, it's getting, it's it's accepting, and that was a hard thing for me. I was always in the pursuit of feeling better. Like I just yeah. didn't want to feel bad feelings or uncomfortable feelings, and it was accepting that's not possible. Yeah, you're not you're not going to get through this life thing without yeah. having some pretty mm. crappy moments and mm. some pretty crappy feelings. Uh, it's more about tolerance, right? It's not about perfection. That's why that peace thing is my goal is because I yes. can be sad 
and peaceful. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If my goal is to always feel good and to always be happy and like myself constantly and like and think it I'm amazing. It becomes exhausting. It's just Jesus. not going to happen. Exactly. That, like that, that mindset for me, it is exhausting because I've spent years yeah. searching for being perfect all the time yeah. with the feelings, with myself, with my routines and my, my my thought towards that now is just, oh, yeah. stuff that. I know. Do you know what I mean? Just cry for a day. Yeah, yeah. Let it out. Yeah. Right? Be lazy for yeah. a day. Be the complete opposite. Do it for two days. Exactly. Like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why it is. It's it's so important to become aware of what is going to help you right now, you know. If um relaxing for the next three days is going to help you because you have been a bit stressed, you're a bit stressed with uni, you're a bit stressed with work, you're having an argument with, like, loved ones, Relax, take time off. Yeah. You know, just because um, in society, being on the go and hustling and doing all these things that considered what is healthy and yeah. what is good doesn't mean it's what's good for you right now. No. So, yeah, become more conscious of what is good for you right now and what you need and also become more conscious of is this healthy lifestyle that you're living and that you're pursuing, is this good or is this becoming an addiction? Yeah. Sit back, reflect on that. And journaling is something that, like I was just saying before, is something that has helped me to an incredible amount through my recovery. So it's something I would recommend documenting. Yes. Educate yourself. Go and find mm. some great resources. Always recommend people what, uh, read The Beauty Myth by Naomi Wolf. That's yeah. an amazing analysis of sort of the diet industry. Oh. Um, so is that a book? Can you just... It's a book. Yeah. It's, it was written in the 90s. It's still as relevant today. Can as people get it online or anything? Yeah, and it's audio book. Oh, uh, the language is a bit heavy academically. Yeah. Like sometimes my eyes would just glaze over. I would struggle. <laughs> I would struggle. And then yeah. you get to the next paragraph Jeez. and she writes something that just makes the whole world make sense. Yeah. But it's a really, really well-written sort of analysis of how all these different industries have evolved over time and, and marketing yeah, and it's advertising. It's affecting our mindset yeah, just sort of entire life, really. If we want to work towards being more aware and, and being more selective with what we take in, um, that's a really great way to do it because yeah. you go into that with the knowledge, right? So yeah. when you see these things, you know what that's really about. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. just go straight to that makes me feel bad about myself. Yeah. You look at that and you go, oh, that's going to make somebody some yeah. money today, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. that's what it is. And it's about having that awareness as well. So is there any other support ne networks that you um, do anything, Mia, like your YouTube channel, your Instagram? So I've got my YouTube channel, which is What Mia Did Next. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's What Mia Did Next. Yes. Yep. And just uploading once a week, really. It's mostly about dieting it's yeah. about small commentary and raising awareness and just sort of helping people to gain that insight and maybe think about things differently. Obviously, it's about recovery. Some of it's about my recovery, uh, but also just giving some insights and sort of tips as a coach now as well. Yeah. Uh, I also obviously have my Instagram, which is the same name, what Mia did next. I try to do a free weekly Q&A about recovery over there, yeah. sort of uh more from that coaching perspective, some yeah. of it from my lived experience. I also run a forum, forum. by the same name. What does the um, Butterfly Foundation provide? Butterfly Foundation has a whole lot of services. So they have a national helpline. They also have a chat function. Yeah. They obviously have their website. So you can just Google all of that? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. They have their website. Absolutely go to the Butterfly Foundation for anything to do with treatment, support, awareness, uh, just information, just some of this stuff around do I have something to worry about, yeah. um, they'll be able to give you some really good sort of insights into what you should look out for. 
No, thank you. You're thank amazing. you so much, thank Mira. You. Thank you for tuning in on this episode. It was so good to have you. I'm thrilled to be here. And I hope everyone on tuning in on the Ccast enjoyed this episode and they got some good tips because that is the whole goal with Yo Balance Co. I want to be giving you guys so much value and so much tips when it is recovery, eating healthy, you know, finding your balance because that is what it's all about. So I hope you guys enjoyed it and I'll see you in my next episode. Bye.